everyone, and welcome to the Bloke and the Bird Show, where you'll notice, A, we had a show last week, eventually. Yes. It was painful. It took us a while to get there. It was the hours of therapy you needed between the takes that was really painful. We haven't, I, I don't really understand why we were having problems, but I know how to avoid the problem. Okay, well... That's about the best I can go for. I think that that's what your therapist said you had to accept and uh, move forward. But my lovely four terabyte Western digital hard drive apparently does not want me saving files to it, or at least saving GarageBand files directly to it from GarageBand. Okay, as we discussed in therapy, you were supposed to deep breathe and stop blaming the equipment and use your workaround methods this was definitely the equipment's fault did you read the owner's manual yes i did and was using this with no problems for what six months seven months i feel like we have taken this step backwards (laughs) we need to focus on the results not the problems you know what maybe no. If this had an MGUH, no. I wouldn't have had this problem. Okay. A well-refined MGUH for energy efficiency. You think that was the problem? Is that our more complexity, not less? <laughs> yes, more <laughs> complexity, not less. Um, but you'd be only limited to so many MGUHs that you could have in a given season. Oh, well, that's the problem. And the problem mm. is the grid penalties alone would rack up. I don't know. After seeing how they worked in, what was that, 2015 with McLaren starting the race in like 42nd place? Yeah. I'm not sure it's that much of a concern. Well, here's the thing. We'd have to look at this season, which if you take the number of shows we've actually produced this season, we would be fine. (laughs) Yeah. This this was a rough season. Well, you know, last season... We did go on like a two-month hiatus. Okay, but so did the entire world because of COVID. Yeah. All right. So what would happen if we had... What if we took away an MGUH? Well, it's not a MGUH. So there are conversations going on and, and right now early stages about the next formula, the next engine formula of Formula One. And that's not next year's re- rules change. No, this is currently slated for 2026. So an area that, it, and we all know this for a while, since ever since we moved into this turbo hybrid era, mm-hmm. the MGUH, now that is the component that is designed to leverage the heat coming off the turbo to provide engine or to to provide energy for the engines electrical power correct charge the batteries that that kind of thing it harvests that's the h there you it go. harvests I thought it was heat mguh i thought was heat i don't know but i believed that it was a harvester i don't know what it actually stands for but i was going with the h cuz mguk k is kinetic that okay. I know. Well, it may be based on heat, but it harvests 
yeah, or it's the, energy. The, the waste energy from to and from the turbocharger of the car. So is this like the ERS system, the energy recovery system? So the combination of the MGUH and the MGUK are basically um, an evolution of the old ERS system. And the curse. ERS and curse, right? Yeah, probably. I thought that was what it was because the curse yeah. was the kinetic. Um, and it was. It was an evolution, an, a revamp of those systems. Okay, why are we talking about this? Because you know, engines are second only to tires for my least favorite subjects. However, when it comes to attracting potentially new manufacturers into the sport, the engine formula is a massive deal. Much bigger deal than the tires. Well, yeah, because <clears throat> they have to produce that. Pirelli's on, tra- on target for the mm-hmm. tires. But there's been a push ever since we went to this current formula to simplify the engines to attract, well, one, to lower the cost, but two, to attract new manufacturers. If you'll remember, one of the reasons why, um, not Caterham. Scorpion? HRT? No, engine manufacturer. Cosworth. Cosworth. One of the reasons why Cosworth left the sport at the end of 2012 was because they didn't want to invest the money in producing these turbo hybrid engines. Correct. So this is that hope of being able to attract manufacturers back in. Hang on a moment. This sounds a lot similar to some something else that I read like a while ago about how <coughs> Formula One was considering lifting the uh, fee for new teams to enter the sport that gets paid to all the other teams is like a compensation fee maybe this is like a sign that liberty media is trying to open up formula one to more than just these fabulous teams maybe they're opening it up to more things not so different similar concept similar concept but but different so this is specifically around trying to attract new engine manufacturers with the loss of honda They'd like somebody else to step in. Now, admittedly, Red Bull under the, I think they're calling it Red Bull powertrains, has is taking over Honda's engine development. So they, they have a voice in this. But what they're really trying to do is they're trying to convince some of the companies under the Volkswagen umbrella to come to Formula One. And we do know that in the talks that have been going on, there have been representatives from the VW group, whether that's been VW themselves, or it's been Porsche, or it's been Audi. They have had representation in these conversations. And one of the things that they have pushed and they have said is a barrier to them entering the sport is the complexity of these engines. And removing the MGUH would go a long way to resolve that. Okay. So now if I remember from the sporting regulations, in order for people to have changes to these types of eras, Mm -hmm. 
the manufacturers and the teams have to agree. So is anybody on board with the idea of removing the MGUH? So Mercedes is, but keep in mind where we are at this point. This is not like there needs to be unanimous consent or anything like that. This is still at the point where just like the commercial agreements, you know, they can set this out two, three, four years in advance with, with it just needs to make it make its way through the channels and, and they're good. Okay. So, and, you know, the plan was always in 2026, a new engine formula anyway. That, that was Formula One scheduled rotation. They just need to come to an agreement as to what that new formula will look like. The first that we're hearing now, and, and previously that Mercedes has been one of the many who have been strongly against it, but Mercedes is now saying, well, you know, if it's going to attract somebody else to come into the sport, we're willing to remove the MGUH. Now, there's other things that still need to be agreed to and compromised. This is not a done deal yet. However, this is the first that we've heard one of the players be willing to make a compromise here. And it's a player that's Mercedes, which is mm-hmm. an even bigger deal since they've dominated this era so much. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. <clears throat> So we'll see where that goes. You know, ultimately, I think they want to have this settled by the end of next year. Which means it'll be settled in about two to three years. Well, again, if the engine formula in particular, if that's supposed to come in 2026, they're going to want at least two years of development time beforehand. Right. the, The clock is running down. Right. I'm only saying that because of the experience that we've had for every other rules change and uh, <clears throat> changes well, the turbo hybrid era was pushed back, what, two years? Yeah. And then Bernie tried to, to scuttle it completely? Yes. Which was super fun. Yeah. So, other news. So, I don't remember if it was in the Lost Show or the Real Show. The dominoes started falling. Well, two weeks ago. And a lot of talk about how these announcements were very precisely engineered. Okay. And intended to do some... To to let specific windows happen and conversations occur without stories stepping on each other. Mm. So first off was going into Zandvoort was the announcement that Kimi Raikkonen was retiring from Formula One and it was the end of his season, which means finally that prediction has come true. But we're still probably going to have it next year in the prediction show because, you know, it's been tradition for all these years. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why we'd pull it out. I mean, come well, on. Well, you'd have to <clears throat> redo it because it says, is this the year that Kimmy will retire from Formula One? Um, if he was to come back, it would not be the year. It wouldn't be the Or if he doesn't come back, you, you know, you can't. If he's not there, he can't retire. So you may actually have to retire the question. I don't know. We'll, we'll, we'll see. We've still got a couple of months before. I mean, we I realize you are the owner of the questions. I know that's the thing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So I'm looking for the sporting regulations of the predictions book. By the way, I'm I want to make sure that we are adhering to the sporting regulations. So the only the only regulation was. Once we make the predictions, we save them up into the special folder and we do not look at it again until after the season is over. 
That's that is the rule. I'm not sure that is the only rule. I mean, the sporting regulations was a very thick and complicated negotiation. As, as the senior director, grand poobah, executive overseer of the predictions, I set the rules. You do realize that as the senior director, grand poobah, overseer of the predictions, you then cannot participate in the predictions and thus cannot win the predictions. That is not correct. Because I, I set the rules. <laughs> no, no, no. Michael Mossy can't win Formula One. Thank you, God. you <laughs> cannot win the predictions. We, boy, and me are now in I'm competition. Wait, hang stay, on, hang on. Let me I'm talk just going to gonna stay out of this because this seems to be more of a dispute between <laughs> the bird and the bloke. Hang, Nothing hang on. to do with the boy. Hang, hang on. Let me. I, I have a ruling that just came in from the rules committee, and the rules there committee no says rules. you're wrong. There is no rules committee. There is only the podcast steward, and that is me. That and is I not say, you. And I say you're wrong. Any and and that is not an appealable decision. I'm sorry. It is in the rules. Moving on. You now so. have a five-minute podcast penalty at the next race, and points on your podcasting license. Bring it. Anyway, so Kimi Raikkonen announces his retirement the week before his board. And of course, all of the speculation, as much as the speculation, there was a lot of speculation of, okay, when are the next dominoes going to fall? We knew, we 99% sure what was going to happen, but it was when it was going to happen. And the reality is, if you really look at how this played out, Mercedes really did Kimi a solid. Because by keeping their mouth shut, yes, there was a lot of speculation, and yes, there were questions, but 90% of the conversation in Zandvoort was around Kimi and his retirement. It was not around any other driver moves. And, you know, I, I you, you got to give credit to Mercedes for respecting Kimi that way mm-hmm. and letting Kimi have a very well-earned moment. Yeah, he, he got to own that news cycle. Of course, he lost some of it by testing positive for COVID. But, but still. he was given unfettered access to that particular news cycle and storyline without any distraction of any other mm-hmm. driver move. So then Monday, and again, engineered by Mercedes to let stories play out in a specific time frame. On Monday... Valtteri Bottas makes the announcement that he is not, and and to be clear, it was Valtteri, not Mercedes, that made the announcement that Valtteri will be departing Mercedes at the end of the season and moving to Alfa Romeo. Mm -hmm. And they left that for a day so that all the story and all of the conversation was about Valtteri and his time at the the team and how much he'll be missed and his contributions and and all the kind words about Valtteri. Correct. And then we waited till Tuesday. And the next dom and this was dominoes at this point because domino number 1 was George Russell making his announcement that he is departing Williams and will be joining Mercedes to drive alongside Lewis Hamilton next year. Yay. So all of that happened. 
happened and all of that played out but there was a whole bunch of other announcements driver wise that happened in the last well in that same time general time period okay but we had three drivers move around a retirement and two moves and that dominated all of the stories so the other drivers didn't get their day in the sun they didn't get as much of their of the day in the sun so the other announcement that happened not long after um george made his announcement williams announced their final driver lineup and who's gonna be williams final driver nick latifi has been renewed for another season and will be paired with alex albin Ooh, so alex must have gotten released from his red bull contract because Toto did not want Alex to have access to that engine without being released from Red Bull. So, yeah, kind of. Yeah, kind of. Is, is the best way to put it. Okay. Um, and and it, Alex didn't really play this too well. Uh, so, okay, who's shocked? Who's shocked? So, Williams, you know, orchestrated PR picks and all of that stuff and for the announcement and everything to happen at the factory. Mm-hmm. And Alex showed up. In a Red Bull shirt. Yeah. Yeah, I saw the photo. And the fact that Williams didn't go, dude. Here's a shirt. Uh-huh. Yeah, that was a... That was a rookie mistake there. That, that, that was... Uh, you know, that, that's one of those things that I'm sure Claire's going, all right, when I was running a team, since I came up through the PR department, I would have made sure we got that one right. Well, here's the thing. Actually, it might not be something they could have fixed because Albin is currently a Red Bull driver. And I believe in part of their contract is that they can only be photographed in Red Bull gear. And I say that because... Perez, it was a big deal that he had to be fully released from his prior contract in order to take on the red shirt of, uh, not Perez, um, Science. Science. He had to be fully out of McLaren to get the red shirt of Ferrari. And it there was a, there was a news story that came out the first time Science put on the Ferrari red. It's probably a contractual that he had to show up in Red Bull. I don't know. Still would have thought that they would have done something since these were Williams photos. I understand, but they that, that the Williams timing didn't of make it that happen. The timing of it may be such that he was still under contract to wear the Red Bull colors. I didn't Obviously, I am not negotiating his contract. I do not know the details. Um, But keep in mind, all of the interviews with Valtteri about Alfa Romeo, what's he wearing? Well, he has not been interviewed with the Alfa Romeo team. That's true. He is still being interviewed. And as a matter of fact, you know, Alfa Romeo hasn't put out an announcement with Valtteri's picture on it saying that he's their driver. Alfa Romeo is confirmed and they put out a press announcement, but there weren't pictures of um, Valtteri Bottas at Hinwill or with any of the Alfa Romeo cars or any of that stuff. Well, maybe that's the rookie mistake that Williams made. It may have been. I mean, 
I can call Albin if you want me to, but... No, I'm sure he's gotten a lot of grief over that one already. I mean, I can ask. I would call William's Claire. PR probably also got a lot of grief out of that one. I'd call Claire, you know, just how does this normally work? You know, who made the faux pas here? Because there was obviously a faux pas made. Mm-hmm. So the other announcement that was made uh, on Tuesday as well was the Alpha Tori lineup. So Alpha Tori has confirmed that their lineup for next year will be once again Pierre Gasly because he's excelling at that team he is and Yuki Sonoda which I believe shocked everyone including Yuki really so what Yuki said he said from my side I was a bit surprised I'll be staying next year so first of all thanks for the team I kept crashing and spend a lot of money for the team. I was not on a good way to end the first half of the season, especially in Hungary when I went to the wall in free practice one and ruined a whole session, almost two sessions. For France and Helmet, you need a more consistent result and more driving and also discipline in the sessions. I couldn't improve through the first half of the season, and that's why. Yes, that's right. Yuki Sonoda, I can't believe that my team re-signed me because I crash a lot. Well, it shows that he's got some self-awareness. Yeah, that are one hell of a personality. Because... Wow. <laughs> yeah. You know, what he just said was, wow, Alpha Torre is super desperate. They kept me and I probably shouldn't be here. Yeah. Which is probably the actual truth. Now, on the other hand, Helmut Marco said this week and, and acknowledged that... Pierre Gasly is really too good of a driver for Alpha Tori. Mm. Which, in a way, was is, is kind of daring another team to go and sign him. It is. So, at this point, there are two remaining seats that are not confirmed. We have the other Alfa Romeo seat. Which is Giovinazzi's currently. Currently Giovinazzi's seat. We have heard that there are three drivers, possibly four drivers, in contention for that seat, with the leading driver believed to not be Antonio Giovinazzi. Wow. So word is that with with their failure to get um, Nick DeVries into Williams— Mercedes is trying to convince Alfa Romeo to take him. But there is also talk, and and it sounds like he is the leading contender, the Alpine Chinese junior Guayang Zhou, I believe is how you pronounce his name. Wow. Um, He was considered the leading candidate behind Esteban Ocon to take the seat. Um, if, If Esteban, they couldn't come to an agreement with Esteban, that's who who was expected to get promoted up from the Alpine Junior program to take mm. the seat. Um, word is he comes with about thirty million dollars in sponsorship. Wow. Yeah. So that he is currently the leading candidate there. I believe he's driving in Formula Two now, and Fred Visser says that he wants to see. 
things solidify a little bit more in Formula 2 before he makes a decision, which leads me to believe that he's waiting to see how this kid does. Makes some sense. The other rumor that has been flying around this week about Alfa Romeo is that, and and I want to say it was Racer in the U.S. that that put this rumor forward. Uh, The rumor is that Andretti Autosport is looking to buy Sauber out of that arrangement and shift over into Formula One. Wow. Again, it's a rumor. So we, we, we don't know what's actually going on there. But, you know, last time we heard some, some rumors happening, by the end of the weekend, things had exploded. Well, the last set of rumors that happened... <clears throat> Kimmy suddenly retired, and and there were a whole lot of seats moving around. So we shall see what happens there. The other seat that remains unconfirmed at this time for next year, surprise, surprise, is Sebastian Vettel's seat over at Aston Martin. Now, Sebastian's contract has an option for another year, and I think it's actually got two options on it for for subsequent years at this point aston martin has not exercised that option Hmm. initially there were rumors flying and, and it was going coming out of the summer break that um lawrence stroll was trying to lure um fernando alonso into the seat because fernando his contract didn't have its option exercised coming out of the break initially. But it has been now. It has since been. Now, Alfa Romeo, or excuse me, Aston Martin has denied that this rumor. Mm-hmm. Um, they're denying that there are problems with the negotiations with Sebastian Vettel. Sebastian's remained quiet right now. Well, that's probably his strongest negotiation tactic right now. And let's remember, Sebastian negotiates his contracts. Correct. That's why Lewis does it, because he heard that Sebastian does it. Yeah. So, yeah, we'll see what happens there. But uh, Otmar Safnauer says that it is nonsense to believe that delays in finalizing the contract means that there's a risk in the deal falling apart. Now, as of late, I'm not sure I believe Otmar and what Otmar tells the media, but I don't know. Okay. So, back to Williams. This weekend, and it was cool, we saw it a couple of times, um, George Russell was the second driver to drive with the brand new helmet cam. Right. Probably the closest that we can get to a driver's eye view of what it's like in the car. You know, much better than, as much as it's not as clear a view, it's a much better representation of what it, what that image looks like than the camera that's over the halo. Correct. And behind your head. Um, George was the first to wear it in a competitive situation. So Fernando ran it as a test in free practice one, I think it was. Okay. It's a pretty impressive view. I mean, you really get to see how much 
the driver's head moves around and, and really get a much better indication of, you know, what the, the how the track slopes and things like that. In that perspective, it's kind of cool. However, Williams is a little concerned. Why? Because that view gives a very clear view of the steering wheel settings and under normal circumstances, potentially, the steering wheel displays. Oh. And that's not necessarily information that they want other teams to see. Yeah. Now, what's been done, at least for George, and I don't think it was done for Fernando, was George's display was blurred out Mm. by Formula One and, and the FIA as part of the broadcast. I don't recall that that was done for Fernando in a view that we saw there. But you can still very clearly see the switch settings on the wheel. Mm. So Williams isn't particularly comfortable about this. Um, I'm not necessarily sure that it's as big a deal as Williams thinks it is. Well, I don't know. It's sharing information, and sharing information in a competitive setting is never a good plan. Yeah. Um, the other thing that is unique about Williams, and I don't know if it really has much of an issue here, is that Williams is the only team that does not have the display integrated into the steering wheel. They have a separate display that sits on the dash in front of the steering wheel. Mm. Everybody else, their display is on the wheel. Oh. So, and it's something that Williams has decided that they have no interest in moving. Interesting. Now, um, George Russell and Nick Latifi, there are only 11 drivers, apparently, who can run this helmet. George Russell and Nick Latifi are two of them. Fernando Alonso, obviously, the other one. But it's the drivers who are running Bell helmets. Oh, okay. That have the provisions to take the camera. Oh, okay. I did not know that that was the case. I was waiting for you to tell me that it had to be drivers at over a certain height. You must be this tall. You must be t- <laughs> you must be this tall to have a camera in it. because otherwise they sit too low in the car. Yeah. So this weekend we had our second sprint race and our second Friday qualifying session. And before we even talk about any of the other stuff, let's talk about qualifying. Because in a lot of ways, this qualifying was a lot like the last couple of years of qualifying at Monza. An absolute disaster with teams trying to get gaps, teams trying to avoid um, giving the to, toe to their get opponents. Get toes, avoid giving a toe. And we saw... The, the, the ridiculous shenanigans, and I could pull up the clip, but I'm not. But the ridiculous shenanigans in the pit lane um, coming out of Q2 with, what, three cars almost collide with each other and at least one pit lane mechanic almost get run down? I thought he got hit. Um, I don't believe in the no, story. It was I'm, a near miss. It was, it was close. A near miss. It was close. Yeah, I thought Crofty said that he was, was actually hit, but he may just have fallen down. So Vettel comes out of the pit alongside Stroll, who had to drive around a team mechanic, which put him uh, at risk of hitting Lewis Hamilton, who had to swerve to avoid contact. 
Then Esteban Ocon, their crew was judged by the um, uh, the FIA to have moved into a dangerous position in the pit lane as he signaled to Ocon to leave the pits. Following an investigation of the stewards, both Aston Martin and Alpine were found guilty of unsafe releases, and each was fined 5,000 euros. The problem is 5,000 euros to these is teams nothing for them. is nothing. And it does nothing to stop the unsafe releases, and somebody is going to get run over and killed. The, there, Formula One's got to come up with some kind of plan here, whether it is completely changing the nature of qualifying at Monza so that, you know, teams go out together and we stage them that they go out, you know, 30 seconds apart or something like that to try and spread them out and force them to be spread out mm-hmm. so that we don't have these games. I mean, what was it, three years ago when we had the majority of the, the pack miss the start of Q3 because they took the outlap so slowly they didn't make it around in time? Yeah. I mean, the the games that are getting played at Monza in particular... Formula One's got to take a look at it at this point. It's getting ridiculous. Well, it's any track that the toe is this important, but Monza... Monza's it, the, the biggest. ...is the one that it's the most important. Mm-hmm. But it is. You're right. It's games. So we get through qualifying, but qualifying did not set the grid for the Saturday sprint race. Or excuse me, did not set the grid for the Sunday race. It set the grid for the Saturday sprint race. I I'm looking that at that going, yeah, I got it that did exactly that. I what got are that you wrong. talking about? I got that wrong. I'm right. Um, qualifying on Friday set the grid for the Saturday sprint race, not the Sunday race. Correct. That's where I, what I meant to say. We got it out. Um. <laughs> this is why we have the sporting, the podcasting sporting regulations that therefore can censor you and give you another point on your podcast license. Yeah, whatever. Even though I think he kind of runs it all, so like <laughs> I think he's just going to uh, automatically subduct deduct all of those points from his license. Michael Mossy voided <clears throat> all of those decisions. Michael Mossy has no jurisdiction over the podcasting world in F one. Like that stops him in the slightest. Well, first and foremost, and this is the most important key of this, Michael Mossy doesn't know we exist. Well, I was just going to say that I have it on good authority that of all the podcasts that Burn Mindlander has never heard of, we're his favorite. (laughs) (laughs) Well, (laughs) yes. If If we are his favorite podcast that he's never heard of then that is a winning podcast yeah. to me all right so so it set the grid for the saturday sprint race that then would set the grid for the sunday race race and you know it it looked like we were gonna have an interesting start to the race with lewis and max side by side on the front row Actually, no, it was not Lewis and Max side by side in the front row because Valtteri Bottas was first, then Max, then Lewis. Right. And that was the question was, was Valtteri going to let Lewis by if Lewis caught up to him and how all of this was going to work? And they were all talking because the goal here was Valtteri was already going to take a massive grid penalty to the Mm -hmm. back of the grid. And so 
Valtteri pushing in the sprint race was literally designed to take points away from Max. Because if the two Mercedes could take one and two, one and three, that would be points away from Max and Red Bull. Yep. That was the goal. And instead of, well, Valtteri got off to a great start. Massively good start. Max got off to a great start. Daniel Ricciardo got off to a great start. Lando Norris got off to a great start. Then there and was Lewis. Lewis. Just kind of sat there. Well, no, he didn't really kind of sat there, but he didn't take off particularly well. And by the time he made it to the first turn, Lewis found himself all the way back in fifth. Um, so according to Lewis, what happened, and this is where, you know, they talk about how important the smallest of details are two millimeters. Mm -hmm. Lewis went too deep with his clutch pad, his clutch paddle by two millimeters. And as a result, got a ton of rear wheel slip and did not get a good start and was unable to catch Lando Norris the entire way. And that was kind of really the only, well, that and Pierre Gasly, his incident mm -hmm. was, that was it. That, that was, was all the that story happened. of. But that's all that happened in 18 laps. Mm -hmm. I told you it was boring and you told me it's only boring because your guy didn't do well. It was boring. And no, my guy didn't do well. no. I did not say that about the sprint race. I said that about Zandvoort, <laughs> not the sprint race. Oh, okay. It was different. <laughs> the sprint race was, you know, you know we, we kind of reserved judgment coming out of Silverstone. We were like, well, you know, it was kind of okay. It was interesting that first lap or so, and then it settled down. Monza, yeah, there there was. I didn't see anything redeeming about it, honestly. And, you know, when you look at Monza's a track where passing is possible. And there's a couple of places that cars can pass if they're evenly matched. The problem is this current format that we have now the field strings out pretty quick yep and once that happens then it becomes difficult to pass at monza but for completely different reasons you know it's hard to pass over in zandvoort outside of the bank corners because the track is so narrow and there's no room there's plenty of room in monza but because everybody runs these super low downforce car or super um yeah super low downforce cars the slightest bit of wind and disturbance makes it difficult for them to follow. So you can't follow close enough to be able to pop out and get traction before mm -hmm. you have to tuck back underneath somebody. So the toe is important where you can get into that ideal slip, mm -hmm. but then rocketing ahead, it's, it's hard. So it was 18 laps of two things happened. You know... 
And and this time around, where you know Silverstone, there were a lot of it wasn't just us, but there were a lot of folks who were like, well, you know, it was it was okay that those first couple of laps were pretty exciting, and then everything settled down, and it was nothing happened at that point, and basically you threw the checkered flag before the first pit stop. Right. Really, kind of what happened there. We had more variety in terms of tire strategies mm-hmm. but outside of that it didn't lead to better racing it didn't lead to really any racing and now everybody's going yeah this kind of sucked wow that's the dog <laughs> i was gonna say our peanut gallery is demonstrating how boring the sprint race was yeah she was not thrilled with the sprint race at all we weren't thrilled with Everybody is, the drivers are complaining about it. The team bosses are complaining about it. That this is not the way to go. And, and some of it folks are saying was, Monza really is a crappy place to go and do this. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's a marquee event. Yes, it's exciting. But we don't normally see a lot of passing at Monza because the, the cars string out so much. Exactly. So Ross Braun... He's come back and he said, it's fine. Stop asking me. It's fine. It, it went well. He channeled his Max staff and he said, if one more reporter asks me about this, I'm going to punch him in the nose. No, he didn't say that. But. <laughs> that is so not Ross. But <laughs> Ross is claiming that there was plenty of action during the sprint race. Yeah, he said there was plenty of action at the start. It was a very exciting start. I'm not so sure about that. Well, I mean, other than Lewis getting swallowed up and Pierre Gasly getting into an accident, what happened? Yeah. Fernando right. Alonso moved up a couple of spaces. Again. Because Pierre Gasly got into an accident. Well, not fully true. And and we've seen this from Fernando. Something about Monza starts in Fernando Alonso. Sure. Because... He just has that really odd ability in Monza in particular to just rocket five places up at a start. I don't know what it is. And and he kind of did that again. But that's, that's it. Yeah. I don't know what he's talking about, but maybe he was watching the, a replay of something else and not what we were watching. I, I think his feeling is that because there was more tire variety that that may have helped the show. Them compared to Silverson. I don't think so. I don't agree. Um, where before I thought, well, the sprint race wasn't as bad as I expected it to be. This time around, it, it, it was pointless. Mm-hmm. It, it, it really was. Sorry, but yeah. there We have, in theory, one more, assuming that um, Brazil happens. Should happen at Interlagos. I don't know. I mean, there it's a smaller track. So in theory, the car should say bunched up a bit more. I don't know. I mean, we agreed to let them try it. And hopefully they'll ask our opinion of it. But again, Qualifying is not what's broken in Formula One. Stop oh, trying and, to fix qualifying. And by the way, the medals and the interview truck. The interview truck was weird. Watching the medals get engraved on the spot was amusing. Yeah, I mean, that was kind of cool. I mean, I don't understand why they didn't already have the names already engraved on a plate and then they could just 
peel off the backing of the tape and stick them on there, but whatever. But the metals were stupid. Sorry. <laughs> they were dumb. And they looked dumb, too. Yeah. They, you know what they reminded me of? The plates from Holland America? Bingo! <laughs> Standing on the gangway of any Holland America ship and watching the dude come up with the 50 cruise plate that's like <laughs> bigger than his head. That's what that reminded me of. But they're so proud of their 50 cruise plate. So, well, you know, Max said it was the first time he ever got a medal. Hey. So, what they're talking about now, because they were highly encouraged by how it went at Silverstone. Maybe not so much in, in Monza, but they say that they were highly encouraged by how well it went at Silverstone. That what they're talking about doing is that in, they look to make them standalone events. Oh. So what they're proposing, or what they're talking about, I don't know if they've made it to a full proposal yet. This may still still be at the Bernie brainwave stage. I don't know. Um, what they're talking about is you still have one practice session Friday, qualifying Friday afternoon. That qualifying would then set the grid for both the Saturday sprint race and the Sunday race. Okay. So the thought being that right now you're disincentivizing drivers from pushing and fighting and really taking it to the limits on a Saturday because if they take a half-hearted pass, a half-hearted lunge, and they lose the car or it goes badly for them, that impacts their Sunday race when the full points happen. Except if they take a half-hearted lunge or something goes badly for them and they put a car in the wall on Saturday in a sprint race, it's going to go badly for them on Sunday because of the fact that their car isn't going to be in park Ferme conditions anymore. That is my issue. Yes and no. Remember, if a car is damaged in qualifying, Yes, you're not in park firm conditions. You are allowed to repair the car as long as all the parts and all the repairs are like for like. So it's the same thing. You damage the car on sun on Saturday, as long as you don't break the gearbox, as long as they don't have to replace the engine, and all of the aerodynamic bits are replaced like for like, you take the grid on Sunday with your repaired car in the same position you qualified for on Friday, regardless of what happens on Saturday. The problem is in this current era, it's more likely than not that you're going to wind up having to replace the grid bo- the gearbox. And yes, I know it happens that we don't have to replace it, but so often, or they'll break the suspension, and that's another one. Break the suspension, and they've got other issues that happen. I'm, I'm, it's too, In my mind, it's too big a risk for too little gain. Well, honestly, that's not my concern at all. My concern is that we've already shown that the sprint races don't really add a whole lot to the weekend. They don't. So whether you turn around and you decide that 
it doesn't impact the, the your grid position on Sunday or not, kind of irrelevant. It's I, not going to be a better race. Again, I go back to qualifying is not what's broken in Formula One. Stop fixing what's not broken. But again, what they're looking to with the standalone option, you're not changing qualifying. The only change you're doing to qualifying is you're moving it from Saturday to Friday. Exactly. But in terms of the format, how it works, how it impacts Sunday, they're not changing qualifying with this proposal. No, they're not changing qualifying. But what the, they're trying to do is they're trying to have another race. I understand that. And quite frankly, I have issues with that too. Because our experience in person has been in IndyCar. And it's the junior races that do two races. Mm-hmm. It's not the... The full, the big boys. These are the senior drivers. One race. It's fine. There are other things to go after to make it better. You want two races. I think you're being silly. That's fine. Like I said, I don't think that this fixes the problem. What what I think they're trying to say is that if we can turn around... They're trying to come up with a way because they know that the first half of a race, you know, and we see it all the time, a race starts and within, what, four to five laps, things start to settle down. And unless there's an incident, it's fairly calm, it's fairly routine until we get to the pit windows. Right. Then, you know, things can get a little exciting, a little interesting during while the pit windows are open. Then it'll settle down again. And then the last couple of laps of the race can get exciting again. So what they're trying to do is come up with a way to eliminate all those parts where the races seem to settle down. And they're thinking that by shortening the race, by having what they hope for is an exciting start, maybe two or three laps of it settles down, and then it's that sprint to the finish that they'll get something exciting. I don't know if they will. And I don't think they will because of the nature of the cars, the nature of the design, and the nature of Formula One. But that's what I think they're trying to accomplish. See, and I think that that is built on a flawed premise. Which part? What they're doing or what I say? No. (laughs) If the theory is, is correct, that the whole reason to do this is because what they think is wrong and this is this chaps me that we're trying to we're, we're coming up with solutions we want that, to improve the show but we're coming up for solutions that are looking for problems and those problems don't exist but what's happening is okay if the the solution the question is if you look at a two-hour race there's a lot that happens in the first seven laps five to seven laps you have to wait till the pit windows open, whether it's a one-stop, two-stop pit window period of time. Then there's more that happens. And then you've got the last five laps of the race. Those are your exciting points. Mm-hmm. Spread that out over 70-something laps. Yes, there are 20 laps in spaces that not much is going on. What they are failing to understand is that 90% of the people that are watching this are actually watching it from home. And that is when they can go to the bathroom, rotate the laundry, <laughs> and get food. 
We do not need two straight hours of sit on the edge of your seat excitement. Be careful there because what will end up happening if you say that and you promote that theory, ESPN is going to go back to what they did that first year that they had Formula One and they're going to start dropping commercials in again. And that was maddening. That was even worse than when Speed and NBC Sports was doing it with the small screen and there it was even worse when ESPN was dropping commercials randomly in the middle of coverage. No, I'm I'm morally opposed to dropping coverage. But okay, go to the in-track experience where you can't have commercials. Mm-hmm. ESPN cannot put commercials into the in-track experience. Go to that experience. Those boring laps is when people stand up and they go the concession stands and get food and they go get souvenirs. That's when commerce happens at the track. (laughs) So try to put your head around the fact that those laps are integral to the whole racing experience. They're important, even if you perceive them as not being highly engaging okay who do i need to call do i have to call ross again again or do i have to call uh dominicali probably both of them the problem is i cannot get ross and stefano in the same room with me are you saying that they might be the same person no oh okay no, I'm just saying that every time I have tried to have one conversation, both of them have said they are too busy to meet in the same room with me. That's because I'm having lunch with the other. Oh, is that the problem? So, Sunday and yes. the race. I can sum it up for you pretty quickly. So, we all scratched our heads and thought that Lewis Hamilton was nuts starting on the hard tire. And we had an okay start. Went he to had a safety. good start. He, he, had, he had a really good start. Um, although pushed off by Max Verstappen at the first chicane. Um, we saw, was that Giovinazzi who planted it nose first into the barrier? Yes. No, it was Gasly. No. Somebody. We had a fairly early safety car, mm-hmm. which I don't know if you were watching, but the marshal diving out. And he was behind the barrier, and he was at ground zero, <laughs> diving out of the way there. Um, then we had not a lot of anything going on for 24, 25 laps. And then we had a lot of excitement fairly quickly. As Max had a horrible pit stop, um, not we need to talk about that for a second. Okay, pause you in your recount. This was the first race where they took out the any sort of second. It's the second one. Zandvoort was the first. Oh, okay, never mind. It was supposed to be at Spa, but we were rained out, so Zandvoort was the first with the slower pit stops. I was just going with the fact that um, Red Bull. And having 10 s- seconds should not have been the issue. Well, they had such a change. horrendous pit stop this time around. I was wondering if it was because 
of that change that they had relied on the automation too much. So Max Verstappen had a horrible pit stop, which dropped him back behind both the McLarens. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, he got out just ahead of Valtteri Bottas. Who was making amazing inroads because he started in 20, oh, 19th because somebody started from the Did, pits. No, just, Verstappen came out of the pits behind Bottas. But this was, yeah, he, he, you're right, he did. He came out just behind Bodas. This was the Valtteri 2.0 type driving that we saw a couple of years ago mm-hmm. for three races and then never came back again. Yeah. The, this was, Valtteri was on fire, driving a rocket ship, doing fantastic. Lewis comes in for his pit stop after the McLarens came in for theirs. Um, came out right he may have been just ahead of Max. Well, he was just ahead of Max. Mm-hmm. Max caught him up at first turn. And, and this is all within like three laps of all these pit stops happening. Max caught him at the first turn, goes in hot, bit deep. Um, Lewis gave him room. However, because Max was wide, he came along the inside of turn two. Um, because that's a chicane right there with sausage curbs right on the inside, which launched Max's car into the air and on top of Lewis's Mercedes and took both of them out of the race. He took his front, Max took the front wing and shoveled it buried into the gravel. Well, it wasn't that Max's wing was, Max took it that way. It was the angle because... The car went up the side of the Mercedes and then up the engine cover mm-hmm. and then slid down over the cockpit. Exactly. Which shoveled the front wing into the gravel. Um, the picture that hopefully will be part of the thumbnail for this image will be Max's car on Lewis's head. Yes. The halo was instrumental. The halo saved Lewis's life. Mm-hmm. Full stop. Otherwise, he would have had a tire on, I mean, full on on his head. But mm-hmm. the tire was on, I mean, touched his helmet. It happened. Lewis reported afterwards that he got quite a, a jolt on top of, you know, mm-hmm. on top of his head. Um, whoa. So, and, and we'll loop back to the incident because summary of the race at this point, Valtteri continued his charge. Sergio Perez made a pass off the track and did not give the penalty, the, the, the position back, giving him a five-second penalty, leading to a McLaren 1-2, their first victory since 2012. First victory since 2012, first 1-2 since like 2010. I, no, mm-hmm. I thought they had a 1-2 a in 2012 with Lewis and Jensen. No, it was, it was years before. But ended the second longest um, drought of race wins in Formula One history. Is the longest one with Williams? No. No, it was Liget. Who we've never watched. Yeah, they, they, they've, they left the sport a long time ago. But it was Liget. It was not Williams. Because remember... Williams had that win in 2012, and then it was three or four years later 
where they had a race win. No. 2012 was their last win. I remember it vividly because I, w- I remember some time ago I went onto the Williams official website and type learned about like when their last race win was and it was in 2012 by you know who. Well, that was Pastor Maldonado's win, but they were on the podium with Valtteri. Mm-hmm. And I think the stat might be... Because um, McLaren had podiums last year. Right. No, so it had to have been wins. But yeah, it's the second longest, whatever that is. And it also could be the number of races that happened between the two, too. But anyway. And that, that's what I think it was, is by number of races. Yeah, it's not by year. It's by number of races. Um, yes, Daniel Ricciardo won. Lando Norris came in second. And Valtteri Bottas third. From the back of the grid. Mm-hmm. But that was the race. It was not an ex- a particularly exciting race. You missed the last thing that happened. There was the shoey. Actually, there was was something else that you both are forgetting about. Um, We were saving this. I was talking summary. Yeah, but you were about to close it after that. But there is something else in the race that happened. And we were saving this for the end, but eh, why not? Um... Makita Mazepin, because it's always about Makita Mazepin. Nikita. Nikita Mazepin. Yeah. Makita are power tools. <laughs> <laughs> he, well, he is a tool, but not but a, power tool. a power tool. I don't think he's a power tool. <laughs> Nikita Mazepin uh, spun his own teammate, Ralph Schumacher. How no. About, <laughs> how about Nick Schumacher? Wow. <laughs> Ralph is Michael's brother who's been retired from the sport for some length of time. Are you sure you're ready for this story? Yes. Names these days are just hard when there's like three different people with the same last name. None of them are racing at the same time. They're still with the same last name. Names are hard. Anyway. Okay, so Nikita spins Schumacher. Mm-hmm. Um, in which Nikita finally decides to do something right in his life and apologizes to Schumacher for doing so because he realized that he was in the wrong for it. This comes along with a bitter feud between the two drivers as they've constantly had their own incidents during the race between each other. So it's funny that you mention Nikita. It's funny. Because you remember how I said that Kimmy had COVID, tested positive for COVID, and he didn't drive in Zanvoort. Oh, I know where you're going. Or Monza. With, with this, his replacement Robert Kubica, who's only p- driven in two races, has fit has is higher in the points than Nikita Mazepin. Well, higher in the driver's standing, not in the points. Because none of points, them have points. <laughs> but in the driver's standings, Robert Kubica is ahead of Nikita Mazepin with just two races. And Daddy just had to buy his son a team. I think that that right there proves that 
all things will work out in Formula One and the right people will fall to the bottom and the right people will start to bubble towards the top. Yeah, we can only hope. So back to the race and the big incident. And and really, it was kind of shocking as to how we went from in three laps of, holy cow, Mercedes turned this around, the strategy was genius, to what just happened. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was that... I, I don't recall us having a race that turned that quickly that much. I'm sure there has been one, but yeah, there was... There was I mean, you still rank up as one of the greatest races in Formula One, but in terms of moments... It was, in a short period of time, it was a quick burst. Yeah. I mean, I stood up. I was screaming at the TV. <laughs> there were words that were coming out of my mouth. And the mind games oh. have kicked up already. Oh. So Lewis Hamilton was quite quick to stand up and say that he was surprised that Max didn't come over to check to make sure he was okay. Given it, you know. His tire was on his head. Yeah. (laughs) Max's car was on top of him. And Max didn't stop to check on him. Now, wait a minute. Didn't Red Bull give Mercedes and Lewis a whole ration when Max got taken to the hospital after an incident and they went on and had their podium celebration? They did. Now, the reason why I say this is mind games more than anything else, because honestly, if you watch the video and you watch what happened, if you were Max Verstappen, you probably, the minute you came out of your car, were able to make the conclusion that Lewis was fine. It's really simple because Max climbed out of his car and Lewis was trying to pull out from underneath. (laughs) And the fact that Lewis was still trying to drive his car was probably a pretty good indicator that he was fine. So I don't necessarily find fault with that. And honestly, if that had played out the way Lewis was trying to make it play out, if nothing else, Lewis might have run Max over. Actually, I think that was a concern. (laughs) So... From that perspective of whether or not I think that this is a real thing that Max should be dinged over, the answer is absolutely not. Do I think this is Lewis trying to get in Max's head after this? Absolutely, I do. And the other thing that I think was really, really telling was the one comment that um, David Croft lip-read. And we've heard Max say it now once or twice later on. But lip red when he when Max got back to the garage and looked at Helmet Marco, he looked at Helmet and he said, "He never gives me any room." That right there, that's Lewis Hamilton getting in his head. Lewis wants Max to think that every time they come up alongside of each other. Yeah, I'm not going to give you. Will room. not give me any room. Yep. And the reality was he did. Yeah, just enough. Mm-hmm. So right after right after the race, you and I, we went on about the, the day. We mm-hmm. were half-heartedly watching the stories. And the first, thing, first things that came out was, of course, Toto and Christian come out 
starting to talk about you know everybody's Total posture Wolf calling it a, a, a tactical mistake no tact uh, a professional foul or a, tac- a technical file something like that a foul liking it to uh european football um and then christian horner was like no 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 it's a, it's a racing, racing incident in- and and that right there i thought was fairly telling because to me that's code for red bull thinks that they did something right. <laughs> wrong the, the fact that unlike in Silverstone, where they were really quick to play the victim card, mm-hmm. in this case, that's not what they were doing. No. That they, I thought was kind of telling. And Red Bull is like notorious for projecting that game. Well, this year in particular, they have done it at every opportunity. Mm-hmm. Every we're, opportunity. we're the victims. We're the victims. Mm-hmm. And, oh, no, no, that's a racing incident, which is code for Max probably screwed up. So we were sitting at lunch, and you're telling me that Christian Horner had said Max, uh, that Max's incident was a racing incident, and surely mm-hmm. there'll be no penalties assessed. And so I grabbed my phone, and I pulled it up, because I was like, I got to see what he said there, because his tire was on Lewis's head. And breaking news on the Formula One app was that their Max will start with a three-grid penalty at Sochi. Mm-hmm. So the the statement from the stewards explaining the reasoning. Yes, please. Okay. Car 44, Lewis's car. Car 44 was exiting the pits. Car 33, Max's car. Car 33 was on the main straight. At the 50-meter board before turn one, Car 44 was significantly ahead of car 33. Car 33 braked late and started to move alongside car 44. Although at no point in the sequence does car 33 get any further forward than just behind the front wheel of car 44. During the hearing, the driver of car 33 asserted that the cause of the incident was the driver of car 44 opening the steering after turn one and squeezing him to the apex of turn two. The driver of car 44 asserted that the driver of car 33 attempted to pass very late and should have given up the corner either by backing off sooner or by turning left behind the curb. The stewards observed on CCTV footage that the driver of car 44 was driving an avoiding line, although his position caused car 33 to go onto the curb. But further, the stewards observed that car 33 was not at all alongside car 44 until significantly into the entry into turn one. In the opinion of the stewards, this maneuver was attempted too late for the driver of car 33 to have, quote, the right to racing room, unquote. Whoa. While car 44 could have steered further from the curb to avoid the incident, the stewards determined that his position was reasonable and therefore find that the driver of car 33 was predominantly to blame for the incident. In coming to the penalty, the stewards emphasize that they have only considered the incident itself and not the consequences thereof. Wow. So not an issue that Lewis did not leave him enough room it was that he was not entitled to be where he was in the first place. Whoa. So he not only has a grid penalty for Sochi, he now also has two additional points on his license. 
Now, the the key thing there, and, and we heard this pointed out in um, Silverstone as well. Unlike in years past, these two points are the first points that Max has had on his license in the last 12 months. Which wow. for Max is huge. That's a we have been Lewis talking. Lewis can't say the same thing. Well, yeah. Whether it's fair or not, mm-hmm. but um, Max has matured as a driver, which we've definitely commented on. So there's a couple of other questions that this brings out. Okay. So question number one is. And I'm sure we're going to hear more. And I'm surprised we haven't seen the question yet. But I'm, I'm sure we're going to hear more in the coming months about this. With all of the work that Formula One has done safety-wise to prevent cars from going airborne, mm-hmm. why was the sausage curb there that launched Max's car into the air? Yeah. And... I think that's something that Formula One is going to need to... As much as I think that the sausage curbs are incredibly effective at punishing drivers for exceeding track limits, the fact that it launched a car into the air and and was predominantly responsible for that is concerning. I agree. Um, The other thing, and, and this is less of a question, more of an observation is you know there was a lot of question about the and, and doubt around the halo and its value and all of that and i think in the past year this is what the third time the halo has been directly responsible for if not saving a driver's life reducing the possibility of severe injury mm-hmm. i mean three times in a year We've never seen that kind of thing before. We have never seen it to this level before at all. And I think at this point, there are no more detractors against oh, the Oh, well, ever since Grosjean's crash, there hasn't been. But it's it's kind of staggering that once again, the halos come into play. And one of the things that folks have pointed out is that in the pictures, it appears that the halo on Lewis's car was damaged. Apparently, it was not. That's the body and some of the framework and, and some of the aerodynamic attachments that were on the car for this race, those were damaged. Mm. Structurally, the halo was not. Now, because their helmets do stick out above the halo, in this particular case, Max's tire was still on Lewis's head. Yes. And, by the way, was observed spinning. I thought it was the other tire. No. The differential had broken, and, and it, um, the, it was the, the left tire, not the right tire, that was turning. Okay. I, I don't know that. As somebody, I had read some commentator that they went back and were looking at it and, and believed that the tire was still moving on Lewis's head. And One of the things that I want to see is Lewis's helmet. I know. Because... If the tire made contact, and especially if the tire was spinning, there should be marks on it. Yeah. So I'd like to see Lewis's helmet. That has not shown up on me. You know that helmet's not getting traded, right? Yeah. That may be a little bit hard to fit in doubt, though, because Lewis's helmet is black. If a tire, tire no, it's were to... purple. It's purple. Oh, I thought it was black. No, it's purple with lots and lots of sparkles. 
Okay, then. He likes sparkly purple helmets. It just does. So the other question. So we have Sochi, which is also a high-speed track, much like Monza. And it's a high-speed track, much like Monza, where there's not a lot of passing. Mm-hmm. So Max has a three-place grid penalty. Mm-hmm. And we know that at some point, Red Bull wants to bring a new engine in for Max. Does Red Bull turn around and say, you know what, we're going to lose three places if we don't think that we're going to be strong in Sochi like we didn't think that we were particularly strong in Monza? Do they write off Sochi and swap out Max's engine along the same lines if you're Mercedes Knowing that Max is already going to be knocked with a three-place grid penalty, does Mercedes turn around and pull the penalty for for Lewis, especially in light of what they saw with Valtteri's car? That's the big question I have, is if they felt like Lewis can swim through the pack and knowing that Max will be hampered Mm -hmm. because he can't start in clean air. He will not begin in clean air. Mm-hmm. Um, do they consider doing the the, the grid penalty because they want to put that new engine? And is that what's hampering Lewis because it works so well for Valtteri? There's going to be a question. And then what happens if both of them take the penalty? I well, know, I know how it works out on the grid. It's yeah. the first one that tells the stewards gets you know then the other one slots in behind it but if both of them were to start on the back because they were you know playing a game of all the reverse grid folks are going that's what we want to see happen i know i know but i mean truly if you want to get down to how these games could be played you know if you're red bull you turn around and you tell max free practice one and two in soshi drive like crap mm-hmm Stay off the pace. Do not push it. Get your sighting. Do all of all of the, but do not push it. Hide the performance of the car. And then take the engine penalty. Or better yet, see if you can dummy Mercedes into taking the engine penalty. With this idea being that, well, Max is already going to be set back. He's not doing particularly well walking into this. We can roll the dice. We can swap out the engine. Let Mercedes end up all the way in the back. And don't change Max's engine. This is the game that could be played here. It definitely is the game that could be played. But also keep in mind, Red Bull just watched Valtteri slip through from last to third on Monza. And with this new engine. Yeah. So if Mercedes is going to say, we're going to give this a shot. And drop the new engine in Lewis's car because he's already Max yeah. is already hampered. This is this is a long, high speed, low drag course that favors the Mercedes, and Lewis really likes that course too. Not no, Valtteri likes that course. Valtteri likes it more. Val, Valtteri really does well, tends to do well in Sochi. It's a low tire deg track. Yeah. So, well, we'll see. We'll see how that goes. So, really quick, want to touch on, again, 
incredible weekend for McLaren. And <laughs> Daniel Ricciardo, it, the fact that he led that race almost its entirety. From the beginning, yes. I mean, incredible. Mm-hmm. Really, it's the only way to put it. And, you know, if, again, since we're going to Sochi and since it is such a similar circuit to Monza, it's possible we could see another strong showing from the McLarens. It's, it's totally possible. I and, and, you know, I'm hoping for it. I, I won't turn around and say that Daniel Ricciardo is back, and, and but I am hoping for a similarly strong showing. I really am. I really am. Um, I do not want to see another shoey ever. <laughs> Lando apparently did one, and well, okay. If, if you watch that, that was multiple shoeys, all from Daniel Daniel shoes. He showed up at the press conference, by the way, um, just in his socks. <laughs> well, his race boots were gross. I'm sure. Well, he threw one of the at least one of the boots got thrown into the crowd. Oh God. <sighs> Lando told uh, Daniel that his feet stink. Yeah. It's just so gross. Yeah. Anyway. Anyway. So, finally, our last story. Shockingly, even though we don't have the the 2022 calendar yet, we don't even have a provisional count, which is a little odd at this point. They're mm-hmm. not a provisional calendar yet. However... Silverstone has announced the provisional date for the 2022 British Grand Prix. It will be the weekend of July 1st to the 3rd. Nice. All righty. So assuming, you know, the, the COVID stuff calms down, book your flights. And, well, actually, Delta's taking flights now. You mm-hmm. can book your flights now. We're currently not planning on being there. No. Yet. Who knows? I don't know. Because, you know, I don't want to camp. That's the problem. But we don't camp. That's my point. And Silverstone, unless I can stay in a motorhome in the GPDA's uh, campground, I don't want to camp at Silverstone. That's the condition. Okay. I realize that you're a bit of a snob. And I realize I keep trying to get interviews to be a Formula One driver, but I have not earned the right to join the British Dri- Racing Drivers That's Association. That's right. It's not the GPDA. It's the BRDC campground. Yeah. I, 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 I fail to have some prerequisites. I'm not British. I'm not a racing driver. Um, you need to be better friends with Susie Wolf. Apparently, I keep telling her that we could be besties, but she keeps refusing my Facebook friends. You need to be better friends with Susie Wolf. That's all I'm saying. So that we could get invited to Susie and Toto's uh, motorhome? Well, there's that. But also, since she is a, a BRDC member, you could leverage that to get the motorhome. I offered up your son to be their au pair for Jack, and... I failed. So. Well, that's why they blocked us. And on <laughs> that note, we'll call it a show.
We are so glad you came. Bye-bye. 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 Bye-bye now. Bye. Bye-bye. Remember, please discard all candy wrappers and popcorn containers in the nearest trash receptacle. Thank you. Okay, bye-bye now. Bye-bye. Bye. <laughs> okay. Are they all gone? Uh, is, is, there, is everybody gone? <laughs> huh? Good. Oh my gosh, my cheeks are killing me. I can't keep smiling like this anymore. I am exhausted. I think I need a break. <laughs> a little break? Okay. Whew.